God gives you gifts, and that's the way in which the Spirit of God works, is through those things He bestows upon us. Now, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to be at verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. And this is an interesting passage of Scripture here, because it reveals three categories of gifts. Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but he said it's the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but he said it's the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. And then he said, the manifestation of the Spirit is given one for the profit of all. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you in this house that uh, we can gather here together. We can bless the Lord. And I thank you for freedom and the atmosphere for the Spirit of God to move and work and have his way. I pray that hearts and minds will be open to receive not just the gifts that you've given to us, but to see them in motion and understand, Lord, you're working and how you do it in our own lives. I pray that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. You know, I remember a couple years ago, I said a couple years ago, it might have been like 10 years ago now, good Lord. I was going for a walk in the old neighborhood I used to live in. We had a park trail system back there. And I saw in the distance one of my friends who's a pastor at a church here in town. So I ran after him. He was walking around. I said, can I walk with you for a little bit? So he said, yeah, we've got to talk about the ministry. He had taken the largest church in his denomination at the time. And he said the most interesting thing to me. We were talking about church trouble and drama. And he said, you know, my wife was in the bathroom at this church. And she heard a conversation that kind of made her blush. Two women were in the bathroom. They were talking. One of them said, you know, uh, I like coming to church over here. uh, But the, the church across town has got such a better coffee bar. She goes, I, I come here because the parking's better, but I really like their coffee bar better a lot of there. And, you know, it just kind of like made his wife think, oh my goodness, like kind of the, the, the world that we're living in today. And so, you know, the thing about my friend, he, he took that church for a while, for a season. And I know people who were going there. And as soon as they found out that the new guy had taken the church, they would literally leave or go somewhere else. I mean, it just kind of revealed sort of the, uh, the fickle nature of people. Are you awake this morning? You might feel that way yourself. <laughs> but I'm going to teach it on spiritual gifts. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 here, these, these three verses, they reveal three categories of gifts. The ministry gifts, which we'll talk about today. Motivational gifts, we'll take you into next week. And the manifestation gifts, which are listed here in 1 Corinthians 12. But I want to zero down on verse 5. I'm in 1 Corinthians 12, 5, in which the Bible says this. There are differences of ministries, but it is the same Lord. So when we talk about different ministries and the Lord, what we're talking about is what we call the, the five-fold ministry offices. You ever heard that term, five-fold ministry? And that's found in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and probably you're familiar with it. I have it on the screen here. Ephesians 4, 11. Uh, minist- these are the ministry gifts that the, the Lord Jesus has given. Uh, he gave it to the church, the body of Christ. It tells us in, in Ephesians 4, 11, he gave some, not all, some, to be apostles. And you've got... Some to be uh, prophets, and then we've got evangelists, and we've got pastors, and we've got teachers. And this is what's commonly referred to as five-fold ministry offices. And these refer to ministry gifts of Jesus. Now, in some circles, you go to certain places in, 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 in America today, in, in, in church, and it's like, man, this is all the rave. I would say it's so focused on and taught upon in some places, it almost might be to an overemphasis, because 
There's so many people that have had thoughts, taught about it. I've been reading books on it. So it's not something that people are shying away from in these days. It's something that should be recognized and understood. And it's something that I think sometimes you know, needs to be taught upon. So when we refer to the ministry gifts, and you talk about the person who's ministering, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, uh, that, that person is the gift. Now, I, I remember my friend, Brother R.L. Brandt, I got a few of y'all who remember that dude. I, one of my favorite men of God. And I think he passed away when he was 91. And I remember, you know, he always had this ability to just love on you. And, and you know he was, you know, a man of integrity and truth. I met men of God like that. I'm grateful for them. But Brother Brant was a special man. He was in the Assemblies of God denomination and just, just a well-known, well-received brother who blessed me. He was precious to me. I got to go sit with him. So you know, when I, when I think about this topic, about fivefold ministry, it does remind me of the prayer that Elisha prayed. This is 1 Kings 18.44. And Elisha was praying. Remember, he'd had a, a show-off with the prophets of Baal. And they were praying, or they were, they were fighting, and Elijah was praying. And in verse 44, 1 Kings 18.44, it says, It came to pass the seventh time. That's how many times it took Elijah to pray. He was praying for rain to come, seven times. Seventh time, it said, uh, there was a cloud as small as a man's hand, rising up out of the sea. So when I think about fivefold callings, I think about the five fingers on a hand. Just like that hand coming up out of the sea, it relates to those five ministry offices, fivefold callings. I, I do want to point out that a lot of times it's prayer that will release the gifts and the callings of God in your life. You know, Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he might send laborers out to his harvest. So we are a praying church. It is my complete expectation in the days ahead that you see the gifts and the callings of God released, particularly in young people, because we spend a lot of time back there praying and believing that God is going to move in our midst. Prayer will do that. So, you know, these, these five offices, uh, they're like the five fingers of a hand. We could talk about your thumb. That's sort of like the office of the apostle. You know, an apostle is simply a Greek word that means that God has sent you. He's commissioned you to do something. It's, it, it, the thumb is what you use to grasp something. And a lot of times people who are in apostolic work, they're used by God to do things like church planting. You know, I, I remember I was reading about Lester Summerall in a book. You ever heard of Lester Summerall? I'm going old school with you today. Lester Summerall is another Brother Brant character. He's passed away, went home to be with the Lord. Planted churches all over the world, successful churches, and, and he would just travel different places and countries and start them and have amazing works. You know what he said, though? I was very interesting. I was reading his autobiography. He said that Alaska and the Pacific Northwest was the most challenging place he'd ever been to church plant because he said there's so much independence among people. They wouldn't work together. I thought that was a very interesting thing. You know, and, and then on the hand, we could talk about the prophet, which is like that pointer finger, all right? And the thing with prophets is they can identify sin and issues in churches, I think sometimes prophets, you know, kind of get a little outside of their realm, out of their metron, because I think prophetic ministry that is done well oftentimes is identifying issues and situations that take place in churches. I love prophetic ministry. It blesses. Middle finger, we could represent to what I call. We've got that middle finger, which is not for, you know, when you get angry in traffic, all right? The middle finger, we could represent to what I call the office of the evangelist, because it's that reach, that the, the finger that reaches the most. And the uh, evangelists are very good at doing outreach. Now, I got a boy named Chris Michelson. You know Chris, he comes here. I went to Pakistan with him. That dude cannot help himself. I mean, everywhere he goes, he's an evangelist. And his wife's putting pictures of him at Subway, witnessing to people outside as he's buying them sandwiches. 
because he just can't help himself. It's like, that's the gift, the grace, the ministry God has given him. It's a part of who he is. And everywhere he goes, Pakistan or in, in you know, Orlando, he, he's doing outreach. It's just a part of who he is. And, and then when you think about the, 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 the ring finger, this is what we would liken to the office of the pastor. The pastor's married to his people. If you're coming to church here, that means for better or for worse, we're together. Isn't that right? <laughs> the pastor is married to his people. And there's something about that that's a wonderful thing. If you look at the book of Ephesians 4 and verse 11, we got uh, what's called pastors and teachers. You'll see it. It's, it's, and the Greek word is there too. It's like you have a dual office between pastors and teachers. Pastors need to be able to teach. I think the teaching office is sort of like you know that little... Uh, pinky finger you have there, because in, in olden days, they would be digging with their hands, and, and teachers know how to dig things out of the scriptures. And one of the greatest pastor teachers I have ever sat under is my friend Larry Stockstill. I mean, he, he's really world-renowned. Um, you know, he's doing pastor's university. The entire Church of God denomination has young men they're sending now through, meeting with him. Uh, this, this cohort is in Atlanta, He's doing an amazing job. He can teach the Bible. He's a pastor. I've really tried to follow him and learn from him. And so I, I look at this ministry offices. And, you know, why are, are there such diversity? Well, You've got five different roles there. And it's because God is diverse, and you cannot put God in a box. This is part of the beauty of who he is. He, different people, are, different ministers are able to reach different people, and different people learn and receive things differently. Now, I'm someone who can really learn in a classroom setting. I've never had that problem. I, I didn't really like going to the lab. I like learning in classrooms. I had no problem learning application that way. Other people, they, they, they want to learn in hands-on settings, and they don't do well in, in the uh, classroom setting. So it's just how God made you, how he wired you. So he's given different people different opportunities, and you need different voices to speak into your life. And what they form for you is a, is a perspective in the beauty of God that you get different things from different peoples. It's the way that God works. So what I want to highlight in this first part of our series has to do with what I call the philosophy behind fivefold ministry. If we've got fivefold offices, what's the reason for it? How are they working? And the text here in Ephesians 4 is super clear. Like you can walk through it and you can see exactly what God's purpose is in doing these things. So if he's given minister gifts into the church, then here, here's how they operate. Let's look at verse number 12, the work of the ministry. So Someone say, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So someone say equipping. Equipping. That's the first thing we highlight here is for equipping. Now, uh, equipping is like the adequate purpose for the task you have. It's, it's preparation. You need to be prepared for the purpose of God, the task that he's got for you. It's basically to prepare you as a Christian. Now, you need to be prepared in the days in which we live because we're living in some very interesting times, isn't that right? Very deceptive times. And we're living in a day and age now in which they're trying to legislate evil and say that it's good. And you've got to be a wise person to know these times. You better be equipped to understand. Because if you don't know the scriptures and you're not equipped, you could get very deceived in the days in which we live in. Uh, I, I like living in Montana. Not just because people here are sane. Uh, but I like living here because it's an outdoorsy state. But you know the crazy thing about Montana? It's got some of the most seasonal fluctuations of any state. In fact, they said that Montana had the highest weather fluctuation in a 24-hour period of any state. I was up by Glacier Park several years ago. I think about like, you know, it was 101 yesterday, and it's like 69 
a couple days later, you know, two days, the, the weather swings are crazy. This was a cold December. You remember that? Windchill was like 55 below. In Butte, they recorded minus 74 at Homestake Pass. And here we are in 101 just two, three days ago. So that's like almost a 200-degree temperature swing. What I've learned about living in Montana is that you need the right equipment for the season that you're in. So in summertime, we like to wear shorts. Isn't that right? I got some people back there wearing shorts. I know some people wear shorts, wear shorts year-round. <laughs> uh, and then you get into the fall, and we got light jackets and cool temperatures. Come on, somebody. Do you know my wife's already been decorating for fall? She is equipped for fall. And she'll be decorating for Christmas when it's a Halloween. I don't know. That's when winter sets in, and winter in Montana is eternal. Can I get a witness from somebody? You need the right equipment to survive through your eternal winter up here. I have found, you know the best equipment I've found for winter? Yeah, insulated overalls. I call them bibs. And some, and some warm snow boots. That's how you can shovel your driveway. Come on. I, I, I like to wear those everywhere. I don't care how I look. I want to be warm. That's just life in Montana. And uh, then you get into spring in Montana. We got like first spring, second spring, third, third spring, somewhere in there. You know, you just never know. But you got, you know, your rain protection. And Montana's just like that. The point here is that you got to be prepared for the spiritual season of life that you're in. I know people who are in like seasons of fulfillment where the Lord has brought promises to their life. And I know people who are in wilderness seasons. You know, you're going through a dry spell spiritually, but you need the right equipment to get through the time that you're in. It's a season you go through. And if you want to enjoy that and thrive in that season, you better be equipped for it. it it's sort of like, you know, working uh, if you have a job. And, and I you know, I, I have plenty to do at this house I bought and things I have to work on. And, and I remember growing up, man, my mom had this thing where she was planting trees left and right. She planted, I don't know, an ungodly amount of trees on that property, 50, 60 trees, I don't know. And uh, sometimes you need shovels for the projects that you're with. But, you know, the other days you need excavators. Come on, somebody. The right equipment will help you with the job that you have. And in the same way, you got to be prepared for the task that God has given you, the assignment he's called you to. I mean, what assignment has he got you in right now? Has he got you parenting? Is that the spiritual assignment that he's got you with? Has he, does he have you partnering with a ministry? Does he have you in a business situation that you're called to reach people in that capacity? Are you teaching? What influence do you have? You need the right equipment. And that's part of what ministry is about. It's about helping people prepare themselves for the task that they have, for the grace that God has given them to fulfill the will of God for their life. The other thing I like about living in Montana, it's an outdoors haven. You can do all kinds of things in Montana. And if you have the right equipment, you can enjoy it all the more. Isn't that right? Because I'm looking back there and my uncle Steve's got a boat. It makes me jealous. I want a boat. You can use that boat in July and maybe August. <laughs> but you got that for summer. You know? And then you got hunting gear. Like people love to hunt up here. They go outside. That's a fall thing. And and then in the winter, I like to have skis. You know, I haven't skied for a while because we have little kids. I want to get back into skiing. If you've got the right ski equipment, you can have a lot of fun. And what you need to have is the right equipment so you can enjoy the things that God has called you to enjoy. One of the greatest things you can enjoy is learning how to be a witness to somebody. I mean, you'll find no greater joy than, than being a blessing and witnessing to people, seeing that your children are coming up in the faith, mentoring people, discipling people. There's certain things about what God has called you to do that you should enjoy, and you need to be equipped to handle those things. So when you're dealing with like, you know, the ministry offices, there's the element of it where we're just trying to equip people uh, to do the things. I feel like the Lord hit a nerve in several different 
sermon series I've done over time, working with people, like evangelizing. I had done that one before, but I felt something stern in me. It's what I want to get better at. If we could just teach people how to engage the lost and the unsaved, man, you'd have a great time. Don't miss on your equipping opportunity because different people, different ministries equip in different ways. Now, let me give you a second philosophy here. I'm staying in the text. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse number 12. Same verse here. Equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And then we got the word edifying. The edifying of the body of Christ. So we have, it's for equipping. This is what ministry officers are for. And it's for edification. That's an unfamiliar word. It's like an old English word. It means to be built up. It means that you've been improved morally, intellectually, spiritually. There's an improvement that's taken place in your life. And, you know, hopefully you can learn um, from my life all the stupid mistakes I make. And I'm pretty open and candid about it. My wife says I might be too open about it. (laughs) Hopefully you can learn from that. There's certain, you know, things I go through, failure situations, and and hopefully you can learn from that. I tell you, I love learning from Pastor Daniel. He has been a great blessing to me. I mean, just watching the way he does things. Uh, Sometimes, you know, it just inspires me to think differently. I really appreciate Mike Ware, man, my, my overseeing pastor. He's not able to make it this year. This is the first year he hasn't been able to come. And, you know, I'm just so grateful for his advice, his perspective, his thoughts. That helps me immensely as I'm growing in life. So, you know, you you need to be edified in your life. How are you going to experience edification? What does that word mean, to be built up, to grow? What what does that mean? How, How can you be built up? What I've learned about edification is that it happens through fellowship. That's, that's relationship, different people rubbing off on you. And I do get the opportunity to hobnob with some pastors and uh, other men of God, ministers like that, but you, know, you, you need to have people in your life that can help work with you, that can help grow you, that keep you balanced and stable. Relationships are a funny thing, man. They will keep you, they'll confront you, they'll tell you the truth, they'll keep you balanced, and they build you up. My friend Ted, he was quoting to me 1 Timothy 5.12, that you should know those that labor among you. There's something that is important about being connected relationally to ministers that, you know, I'm a believer in that. I've experienced that. that, That's the place that allows you to really see integrity and character in the life of a person. Can you really see it? Another place edification comes is through example. Uh, you, You get to learn about the person's example. Now, I love reading autobiographies. I love to read about the story of a person's life, the mistakes they made, how they succeeded, how they overcame things. And I'm reading one right now. I've got two lined up right after that. I just really enjoy reading that. Uh, I I learn through observation. I I get to see people in action. And, you know, the little details in a person's life might go a long way. I remember I was with Pastor Larry Stockstill, who I was talking about, one of my heroes of the faith. We were coming out of a pastor's conference, and he noticed there was a barrette on the ground. That, and he picked that thing up. He said, this has been here for three days. And I thought, man, that's a little lesson right there. I feel guilty about seeing bird poop outside on the ground <laughs> when I think about that. I mean, that was a great lesson for me about attention to detail. I learned through observation. All right? uh, I also am someone who's not afraid to ask questions. Asking questions will really help you understand, grow, build yourself up. And I have a lot of questions I'll ask my, my buddies in ministry. I, I ask people who are further down the road from me lots of things like, how do you parent properly? 
How, how do you ha- manage you know, the, the busyness of a job, a ministry, all the things you got to do when you're homeschooling kids or having school or sports? Or How does that pace work? How, how are you able to manage that situation? Uh, how do you uh, fix a certain problem you're faced with? Man, I love to ask them that. What, what problems are you faced with? And there's questions like, how do you operate in the gifts of the Spirit? That's what the series is about. Now, I was with a uh, pastor friend of mine, Kim Weir. Uh, Kim, uh, she's really got tremendous uh, gift, and uh, she said something very interesting. She was saying that uh, there was an older minister where uh, she was at, and the guy started holding like seminars. He'd go to little towns, and, and, and he would just have meetings and lunches, and he was training young pastors how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit at the altars. You know, like, like if you feel the Lord moving on you with the gift of the Spirit or something he's inspiring, how do you do that? Because the guy said it's like a lost art today. And you go many places, and ministers are actually not equipped to do that, how to pray with people. I had something very interesting happen to me last week, man. I felt the Lord come on me. I was praying for people about money. And every time I'd go touch someone's hand, I just got one word about the situation. One word came to me, and I just started praying over and believing God saying that. It was the most interesting thing. I felt the Spirit of the Lord working that way in me. And I, you know, for me, it operates sometimes more in private, when I'm praying with people at altars or foyers, is like to where I really get, I like to really get you out there in the foyer. I've had many times the Lord has moved on me that way. I can't explain that. But one thing I've learned is I want to lean into that. I want to learn that I'm not afraid of the Holy Spirit and His gifts. I want to grow in those things. That's what Scripture says. You should desire that. I feel it growing. I feel it stirring in my life. I, I'm just trying to associate around other people who operate that way and learn from them. Edification also comes through knowledge, when you learn something from somebody. I was watching Facebook Reels. I know that's not a good place to learn something, but I learned something. It's a term, it's called aggressive patience. And they were talking about remodeling houses, so I was all in on that, right? It just basically means patience doesn't mean you sitting around doing nothing. Patience that's aggressive is like, I understand how long this is going to take it's going to require patience, but I'm going to be aggressive about it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. That's what we do at church here when we pray. Man, we're aggressively patient pursuing God's purpose for, our, for this ministry because I feel like he's got great things ahead. It just requires aggressive patience. If God has said it, that's called faith. I'm aggressive about it. I'm not backing down. I believe that God said it. He'll do it in his time, and I'm leaning into it. So you feel better having learned that, don't you? You can apply aggressive patience to raising children and uh, all the things that you're working on. I'm built up by brethren. How about you? There's something about being edified by one another that's a wonderful thing. So the ministry gifts, ministry pastor offices, teacher offices, things like that, for equipment, for edification, philosophy number three. Look at verse 13. Look what he said. He said, until we all come to the unity. Someone say unity. Unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So the, the third thing I want to highlight, this is something that ministry gifts really help with is the purpose of it is for unity. It's for uniting. It means you're joined as a whole, one heart, one mind. And there's a Greek word which is called esopsikis. I never forget learning that word at a pastor's conference. It means that you're of the same heart and the same mind. And when I was with Pastor Larry, he came to our small cafeteria church. You might have remembered that. This man pastors lots and lots of big churches. And he came to our dinky old cafeteria church back in those days. And Pastor Larry said, the people are with you, which I thought was an amazing statement because it spoke about the unity that I have that with, with, with the people here. It's incredible. You know, the, the Bible speaks of the unity of faith. 
You know, the verse here talks about you know, unity in, in, in the knowledge of Jesus. There's one heart, or there's one faith, the Bible says, that we have to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, through all, in us all. That is unity. Now, unity is one of those things that is elusive. How does unity work? How do you get it? Is attainable. And I've, I've really prayed about it. You know, where, how does unity work? How do you get it operating in your life? And what I have discovered about unity, unity is one of those things that actually requires that there to be tension involved. Uh, it, it, you can't have it without tension. Um, you're never going to have complete unanimity with everybody. So sometimes when you're dealing with people, uh, they have different, di- different perspectives or even some disagreements. And you, you, ha- you have to have that in life because what unity does is that tension actually strengthens you. You, you. you have to be able to give your consent over in order to have unity with people. There's different things that you know, I have ministry friends or doctrinal issues they may disagree on, like eschatology is one of them. For the record, I have always embraced and taught the pre-tribulation rapture. That's my perspective on that. And I love to read books about it. I'll talk to different people about it. I know guys that you know, hold different views. It doesn't hinder our fellowship. We, we, we get to talk about it. I was just talking to a guy on the phone, and he said, well, the, you know, we have differences of agreement or of opinion on that, but that, that we couldn't have unity if we didn't have that. That was a great lesson for him. You've got to have some tension there to have unity. Uh, it's the same thing with what's called ecclesiology. That's church government. The Bible never specifically says explicitly how to lay out churches because you've got different cultures and different places, and there needs to be some flexibility and freedom for the way they're ran with different people in different times in history. I've got friends who I love dearly, and they may have a, a little strange doctrinal thing I think is kind of silly, but you know what I found is that you can fellowship with all, you, you can um, partner with some people, but you can build ministries with, with sons and daughters, people that are really connected. And unity requires some tension. Uh, unity is one of those things in, in your life that it, 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 it requires grace. Like I was talking about this morning, 1 Peter 3.18. Y- you can grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And then in the Gospel of John, it mentions grace before it mentions truth. So grace and knowledge and grace and truth... And the reason why grace comes first is because you need grace in order for you to really handle truth and knowledge. See, I know this might come as a shock to you. You actually don't know everything. You, you, there's, a, there's a certain measure of humility that goes with unity. Because you really don't know as much as you think you might know. And grace is the thing that you need to really help you walk with people. Because maybe, just maybe, there's a blind spot in your life. So unity, you know, it operates through tension. It requires grace. And by the way, you will never have unity in a marriage, in a family, in a church without some hardships. Hate to break it to you. I've been through some battles and some foxholes with some brothers, and it has made me stronger and better. They could have strung Pastor David and Daniel. Those jokers have been with me from the very beginning. You know how hard that is? They could have strung me up. I deserved it. And yet they stuck there with us. We've been through this a long time together. I am grateful for that. It has strengthened my life. I, you know, it's like my marriage with Elizabeth, man. We, we've had some battles over Christmas decorations, but I trust her totally. I mean, my trust with her because we've been through some ups and downs and difficulties. So unity exists in the home 
because we've got some battle scars to prove it. I, I think about like, uh, you know, doing things like the night of worship tonight or, you know, next year we want to help with a tent outreach, you know, with a pastor or with, a, with an evangelist coming through town. I mean, man, there's just things like that. I want to be a blessing and be kingdom minded in the community. And what it requires is unity to take place in, in your life. Unity in your home, your church, your ministry brings us to this fourth philosophy. I'm in the 13th verse still. He said that we all should come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, because there's one man, Jesus, that we unite over. Isn't that right? And then he talked about being a perfect man. That word perfect doesn't mean like you're, you've reached the pinnacle of amazingness. It, it actually talks about maturity. Uh, you, you have the stature of the fullness of Christ. So ministry offices, ministry gifts are given to help people mature. They're given for maturity so that you grow up out of your immaturity. You're full grown. You've reached an advanced stage in life. And, and, and you're seasoned. And another way we could talk about it is we call it Christ-likeness. That's what it says right here. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You can grow into a place where you get to act like Jesus, which means that you are loving and humble. And we'll get into all what that means. Jesus said that we should bear fruit to maturity. So the will of God is for you to bear fruit in your life. The will of God is for you to be mature. Now we are living at a time when there's an epidemic of immaturity. I mean, there's immaturity in the church world because you might go places and you never hear the whole gospel message being taught in some circle. You hear, pick me up, feel good stuff, but you will never hear about the realities of hell and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you. You, you, We have this immaturity that's in young people today primarily because of a lack of father figures. It's like the delinquency of the father figure is so real that we have a whole society that can't handle any kind of pressure and they've got no coping skills. So when things get hard, they just check out of situations. And that's like the society where, and that's not the will of God for you. The will of God is for you to grow up and be full grown and mature. He wants you to mature as a person. Mature. Now I want to talk, before I talk about maturity, I just want to highlight what immature people do. Immature people are very selfish. I mean, if you want to look at the key characteristics of someone who's immature, they're in it for themselves. They don't know how to volunteer or contribute. They never give anything with their time or their efforts, their talents, their money. And Jesus went so far as to say that that is a wicked thing to do. But that's where we find ourselves in many, many places today. So the, the selfishness. Another symptom that you're immature is that you're always looking back like Lot's wife. I just discovered this because it happened to me. I had to overcome my own immaturity. Philippians chapter 3 he, Paul tells us, as many of us as are mature have this mind, you've got to forget the things that are behind and reach for what's ahead. Apparently, immature people are always looking back at the past, thinking that was better, and I had a better situation there, and life was better back there, and that is just a symptom that you lack maturity. That you are kind of like in a funk, dwelling on, oh boy, I don't know how I can ever move forward. It's really that inability to handle pressure and come up with solutions. It's a symptom of immaturity. Let, 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 think about immaturity here. Look at verse 14. I'm in Ephesians 4, look at verse 14. That we should no longer be children. Children are immature. They're tossed to and fro uh, with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful blotting. You know, children, they are immature. They just want to play with toys all day. Ask me how I know. 
The thing about children is they're, they're naive. So they don't understand complex things, like, like doctrine. Uh, they're naive about problem solving. They don't understand relational complexities. I mean, my kids now are just trying to figure out social cues. So immature people, they act like children. They're naive. They can't solve problems. You know, it, that, that's what the scriptures indicate. Now, on the flip side, we could talk about maturity. And the Bible says, look at verse 15. This is how maturity is manifest. When the truth is spoken in love, that is when you start growing up into the head. You start being like Jesus. Apparently, maturity is manifested when you are able to be a loving person. It, it, that's the opposite of selfishness. The most mature people I know are loving people. They are able to overlook an fault and an offense and walk in love. And they can speak the truth in love. And mature people will hear the truth in love rather than getting offended and upset about it. That is a great mark of maturity. When you are able to communicate love effectively, properly, receive love when you don't deserve it, those are marks of mature people. Is the love of God operating in your life? And by the way, the Bible says that love is the greater way that gives you access into spiritual gifts. It seems to indicate to us, brothers and sisters, that if you are grounded in the love of God, are able to speak the truth in love, love other people in spite of their issues and problems, Maturity is also manifested, verse 16, when the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. That, that's you and me. And that works according to the effective working by which every part does its share. These verses speak to me about how maturity is manifested through being a servant. It's, it's manifested through sacrifice. You're loving and you're sacrificial. And that means that you use the gifts and the talents that God has given you to be a blessing. I mean, how sad is it when you've been given a gift and you never use it? That indicates someone who's immature. And the gift that God has given you, man, this is natural. It's easy to do. I mean, you know, one gift that God has given me is I get to be a networker. You know, I got called from an organization that wanted me to travel out to Washington, D.C. and be part of a Family Research Council for a planning session they had. And I was able to go mostly because I wanted to go walk around and see the Jefferson Memorial. That was good advice, Dave. I appreciate it. That was a good place to go see. I got to go walk the grounds and go see all Lincoln Memorial, Jefferson Memorial. Got to see that. But I also got meetings. And now they would like uh, to have a little lunch. You know, here they called me, and I used my network ability to put it together. So I have a great time, a great lunch with pastors. Man, we get to invite the Southern Baptists out. We get to have different denominations present because it's just a natural gift I have. That, that, that's part of using my gift. But I'll tell you what, there are many situations where I don't like to do something and I have to do it because it's a sacrificial thing. M you know, put out some fires, relationships with people, do some marriage counseling. Good Lord. If you need marriage counseling, I might not be your man. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> but there's moments when, you know, you, uh, you have to do things that don't feel good and that's called maturity. Mm-hmm. That's just a mature thing to do. It's, it, it's, I'm, I'm going to do something I don't want to do because I'm a mature person. Yeah. And, and as we're talking about it, remember what I said, Philippians 3. As many of you as are mature have this mind. You forget what's behind you. And you look for what's ahead. Mature people have vision for their future. They, they can see what's coming. 
I am 42, just bought this house, and I feel like it symbolizes this midway point in my life. Like, like I feel like I've got the, the back nine of my life. I feel like the back nine's been more fruitful than the front nine, because I'm a terrible golfer. But I think that the latter half of my life, man, I'm looking forward to fruitfulness. I'm looking forward to having a church filled with young people. That's what's coming. I've seen it in the spirit. We have young people everywhere. I'm telling you, God's got something up his sleeve. He's working it. I feel like I've got great vision for my life. But I'm 42. Maybe you feel like you're 90. Don't have nothing to look forward to. How many of you know my, my, my grandma? We call her grandma. Grandma's 99. Now, grandma, I think it was two weeks ago she fell. Is that right? So she fell. And, uh, you know, when you're 99, a fall is a serious thing. So she ended up having water on her heart that they can't get rid of. So she says she's on short time right now. And, you know, she's, she's, she's telling me, I was talking to her. She said, we all have to die. And I'm looking to heaven. She has a vision for her life. She sees something bigger and better than this world that we're living in. She has a vision for where she's going. So it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 85. A mature person knows where they're going. They can see it. They look ahead for what God has given them. That indicates maturity in your life. Mature people are not people who are caught up looking at coffee bars and parking lots and trying to figure out what's better. They, they understand that sacrifice is required. Now, maybe in your life, we're talking about ministry gifts, so maybe there's some, you know, minister situations that you're dealing with. Like, like maybe you've been sitting under certain ministry situations and it's been the wrong voice. How are you going to know which voice you want to listen to? Man, I've had this happen to me, man. I have had situations where I've gotten caught up with the wrong voice, and I would love to tell you I had the maturity to know that. But I let the wrong voices push me sometimes way too far. And it created all kinds of problems in my emotions. It created problems in my mind. It created problems in my relationships. So you, you, you want to make sure that you listen to a voice that inspires you, a, a voice that speaks truth, a, a voice that's equipping and edifying you, that works for you. I, I went down to, um, <laughs> I got a call from a Native American friend of mine. And he said, there's this guy named Joel Osteen. You ever heard of Joel Osteen? He's like the biggest TV ministry. And he was, at, he was in Wyoming. And they asked if I wanted to come down with him. So Elizabeth and I were up for a road trip. So we decided to drive down there. And, and you know, I met Joel Osteen's associate pastor. His name was Phil Muncy. He used to host TBN shows. You might remember Phil Muncy. And uh, not Phil Muncy. It was the other Muncy. No, no. It was one of them. It was one of them. Anyway, he, he said... I heard you talk. I like your voice. And what I have discovered is that different people resonate with different shepherds. I never forgot that. So sometimes you have a voice that speaks to you and you don't know why. It just connects with you. You should find that voice. It will help you grow as a person. It's part of the graces and gifts that God has given to people, right? Yeah. Uh, the way that you really get to know that voice is, is relational. I mean, that relational connection that's where you see sincerity at work. That's how you see integrity at work. That, that's how you get to just, you know, see, see really the heart of a person. You can see it working. It's, it's a relationship. And so I don't know. I'm not the only minister in town. You've got ministers you deal with. But, but you want to have that connectivity. And, and then you've you got to make sure that you're judging and discerning the situation properly. I have had people, I'll have a guest speaker in sometimes, some people don't care for them. They'll say, hey, you know, this, this guy's this way. And I thought, no, he's actually not that way at all. That, that's your perception of him. 
Your perception might be flawed. When I was a young person, I remember I was uh, in Kansas City, and I went to meet with a pastor, Pastor Tom. Man, we had a great time. And I thought, man, I, I really feel like I'm going to connect with this guy. And then the next day, I was meeting with his minister partner, who was Pastor Howard. He was a little rough around the edges. But as it turned out, I had everything just backward. I spent a lot of time working with Pastor Howard and not much time working with Pastor Tom. And that first impression, if I ran with that, I wouldn't have had the, the help. Pastor Howard was a great blessing in my life, man. He helped me get started. gave me context, perspective. I just had the wrong impression. And if you're not discerning, you could miss the blessing you have. So when it comes to these gifts, man, you be open. Be discerning. They'll challenge you. They'll grow you. Receive from them if you can. And if, if, if it's not your thing, be gracious about it. I want to just pray that the Lord would open up eyes to eat, eyes, uh, eyes to hear, and, ear, and uh, ears to hear, eyes to see what the Spirit is saying to you right now. Mm. Father, I thank you. I feel like that there's many voices you hear on the radio, you hear on TV, on the internet. And I just, mm, I pray, Lord, that they would like be salt, words of grace. They'd be salted, that we would grow thereby. I thank you for the gifts of God that you put in the lives of people to speak into our lives, to grow us. I'm talking about myself included. Lord, I just thank you for the minister friends you put in my life, people around me that have helped me grow. And I pray, Lord, for the people. You know what? I? Oh, Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. Now, I, I tell you what. Uh, if you really want to grow spiritually, it is not good enough for you to come to church once on Sunday mornings. That's just not going to get the job done the days we live in. You're going to have to know how to feed yourself, read books, listen to the right people. I mean, you need... You, we, we live in an amazing time when you're given all kinds of resources in the body of Christ to listen to. And I would encourage you to do that. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. I have had the opportunity to sit under some really great ministers, you know that? But the best one I ever sat under, the greatest minister I've sat is the Lord Jesus himself. <laughs> He's the great shepherd of the seat. He's the overseer of my soul. He watches out for me. And if I drift a little bit, he goes and grabs me. He is my shepherd, and I don't want Now, maybe this morning you've drifted from the Lord. You're a sheep wandering. And the thing about the Lord with his shepherd's staff, sometimes he will come there with that staff, with that hook, and pick you up and comfort you. That's who he is. Other times, as a shepherd, he might come club you upside the head for being a knucklehead. Either way, he's a shepherd. And I don't know, maybe you've drifted. Maybe you're not right where you need to be at. You know it in your heart. I want to give you the opportunity to get right with the Lord today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And you say, I'm not right. I've drifted. I'm telling you, he's after you. So I want to pray over you. If that's you this morning, I want you to put a hand up. I've drifted. I need to be close to the Lord. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yeah. Yeah, so I want you to pray with me. Say, Father, I thank you for watching over me as my personal shepherd. And I pray that your spirit would come into my life. And I want to know you and grow with you, walk with you, follow you. And I ask you to forgive me for drifting away. And I want to submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that and you're sincere, man, I would love to meet you. I'd love to pray with you. I just know that God loves his people, amen. Will you stand up with us? I got a great opportunity for you all next week, man. Invite someone out to church. We got free food coming. 
Uh, we're going to have a great time. Everyone will be back from summer vacation. Glory to God. We're going to have to add seats in the place. It's going to be great, man. I look forward to it. We'll get the kids in here. We're going to pray over them. It will be a wonderful time. So I encourage you to invite someone out, man. We're, we're going to have a blessing and a blessed time in the house, Lord. If you want prayer, we're here for you. I felt like today, you know, I'd like to get out in that foyer. I don't get out there to connect with you rascals enough. So I love you all very much. It would be good to see you next week. God bless you. Amen. Amen.
So are you?